and ultimately we ended up with um, a definition that was created by kind of 200, about 250 people. Um, and the definition goes along the lines of emptiness is a feeling uh, that one is going through life mechanically, uh, is devoid of emotion and purpose and therefore is empty inside, with emptiness often being bodily felt in the form of a discomfort in the chest. This is coupled with feelings that one is disconnected from others and in some way invisible to others, unable to contribute to a world that remains the same, but from which one is distant and detached. So our definition essentially contains kind of three components. Um, the emptiness is around our relationship to ourselves, um, our relationship to other people and our relationship to feeling connected kind of in the world. Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. Welcome to Shona Heron. Shona qualified as a clinical associate in applied psychology in Scotland before moving to London to undertake her doctorate in clinical psychology at University College. She's currently in her final six months of a doctorate, completing her thesis and working with men who are detained in the high security estate and men in forensic hospitals across North London. She adores her ability to combine clinical and research work and is particularly passionate about tackling oppressive symptoms non-diagnostic approaches to mental health challenges and attempting to use the principles of community psychology and narrative approaches in everything she does. Welcome Shona. Hi, it's lovely to have you here, thanks for having me. Hi Shona, we're really glad you've been able to make some space for us in your diary at this kind of like pressurised point in your training, so welcome. Shona, can you tell us something about your career path and how you came to be studying emptiness for your thesis? What interested you in yeah. this concept? Absolutely. I feel like I've had quite a journey with emptiness, if I'm being honest. Um, I guess it goes back initially to when I was doing my kind of undergraduate and master's in mental health in Dundee in Scotland. Um, and at that point, I was volunteering with a community group, which was for men in the local area who had histories of long term mental health difficulties, um, but who were trying to kind of live independently in the community. Um, and I spent quite a lot of time with this wonderful group of men and we had lots of fascinating conversations, often over games of pool. And in various conversations, lots of them mentioned emptiness or a feeling of emptiness. And I was completely clueless, absolutely dumbfounded as to what on earth they were talking about. Um, and through kind of various conversations, started to hear from them about what this feeling had meant for them. Um, and they all spoke about how this feeling of emptiness had been most profound at the times where they were most unwell and when they were most in need of um, either kind of psychiatric inpatient stays or kind of support in the community. Um, and so from there, I kind of started looking into this this idea of emptiness and, and what it was, because at the time I was doing my master's in mental health um, and I then went on to do kind of clinical training in CBT and hadn't ever come across this concept. And it felt a bit odd that I was hearing about it a lot from this group of men, but but wasn't having any kind of training or or knowledge given to me about it. 
And so started kind of digging around in the literature and asking lots of questions and drawing lots and lots of blanks. Um, and so it was at that point I approached um, Professor Fabio Sani, who was a professor I'd worked with when I did my undergraduate, who I knew was really interested in kind of social identity and relationships and mental health, and took this kind of big question to him and said, well, what on earth is this emptiness? Have you come across this? And equally, he was stumped. So we decided that what we kind of needed to do was try and set up some kind of group to understand this a bit more and we went back to the community group of men and just said can we sit and have a kind of formal conversation around this and really think together about what it was and so with them ran this wonderful focus group um to, to really get a sense of actually what emptiness was from their perspective and whether this was unique to this in particular group of men um and that focus group was lovely and at the end of it fabio and i's interest was well and truly hooked and we decided this needed to be something far bigger because it didn't feel unique to this particular group of men in a little pocket of Dundee. This felt like a much bigger topic and a much bigger question that nobody was really saying anything about. Um, and so from there, we started what has now become essentially a seven or eight year research project, um, which began by setting out trying to define what emptiness actually is, um, because that was a huge gap. Um, in the literature that the word emptiness often floated around but there was never a definition or kind of any clarity on what was meant by that. So we initially set up um, a research project um, looking into trying to define emptiness from the perspective of people with lived experience of feeling this way, um, which we published last year, um, which was fantastic. And in moving to UCL to do my doctorate, it felt like the ideal opportunity to continue that work. Um, and currently we're we're using emptiness as part of my thesis and I'm trying to create a measure, a clinical measure that can be used to try and measure emptiness over time um, and in kind of clinical populations. So it's been a bit of a journey, um, which started out with quite humble beginnings, just working as a, a volunteer in a community group and has now kind of literally taken me quite considerably across the country um, in pursuit of, of trying to get my hands around what on earth emptiness is and, and what on earth we can do about it. And it was that paper Shona that I saw, I think you might have tweeted about it online or somebody had, and reading that that really caught my eye because I remember being in my final year of training actually and, and working on a specialist placement for in a service where the entry criteria was where people had to be um, diagnosed as having a personality disorder. And of course, one of the criteria for borderline personality disorder is that sense of, of emptiness. And um, I mean, this was many years ago, so that might not be the criteria uh, in these days. But I remember having that same that same thing of, well, what exactly is being spoken about here? And there being very little about so really delighted to to read your paper and it you know appealed for that reason but how, how did you define emptiness and and has that definition stayed stable over the course of your research yeah it's a really a really good question i guess to begin with in thinking about the research one of the key issues was there was no definition so beginning the research we had literally no concept of what emptiness was and and actually i think that was one of the parts of the research that was most interesting it felt like really stepping into uncharted territory and our our kind of intention was not to define emptiness to begin with, but to allow um, the participants in the research to define it for us. Um, and so we started with nothing um, and, and basically set out a, a survey saying, you know, what is this to you? Um, and ultimately, we ended up with um, a definition that was created by kind of 200, about 250 people. Um, 
And the definition goes along the lines of emptiness is a feeling uh, that one is going through life mechanically, uh, is devoid of emotion and purpose, and therefore is empty inside, with emptiness often being bodily felt in the form of a discomfort in the chest. This is coupled with feelings that one is disconnected from others and in some way invisible to others, unable to contribute to a world that remains the same, but from which one is distant and detached. So our definition essentially contains kind of three components. Um, the emptiness is around our relationship to ourselves, um, our relationship to other people and our relationship to feeling connected kind of in the world. Um, and that definition, when we started, we had no idea that that's where we were going to end up. Um, and we attempted to be as led as possible by what came out of um, the research and what participants told us. Um, yeah, that's where we got to anyway. Thank you. And you said there, were, there weren't any definitions of emptiness. Does that mean there weren't any existing theories of emptiness or had people somehow managed to cobble something together without actually defining what they were talking about? Yeah, interestingly, there was, I guess, it was really interesting actually when we put out this paper because it came out in kind of the middle of 2021. And just before that, kind of at the end of 2020, a, a very similar um, research group were I think in Canada were had clearly caught into the exact same thing as us and had attempted to come up with a definition of emptiness as well although they used a very different kind of methodology so they um, rather than going directly to kind of people with lived experience they did kind of literature searches and searching the existing material that they could find and produced a definition actually incredibly similar to ours um, which for us was fantastic because it meant that we were all kind of singing, singing from the same hymn sheet um, but yeah, interestingly, because there wasn't these kind of clear definitions until only really the last, you know, kind of year, two years, there was lots of kind of floating vague theories about emptiness, but no real clarity. So some of the theories that kind of had existed previously was the idea that um, emptiness is an emotion. So that had been kind of discussed quite historically, kind of in psychodynamic literature around emptiness as a kind of emotional experience similar to anger or sadness or joy um however for us that didn't really fit because these emotions normally are kind of in direction to something so we feel happiness in relation to something or we experience sadness as a result of something whereas what emptiness was being described as from our participants is this kind of this background kind of pervasive feeling that wasn't triggered by any particular experience or interaction or stimuli it was just there it was just this ongoing feeling so for us the idea of emptiness as an emotion just didn't quite sit right and then some of the other theories kind of that flo were floating around were more about kind of the function of emptiness rather than what emptiness was so from some psychodynamic literature there was an idea that emptiness is a defensive Kind of a subconscious defense against against emotion um so the idea that emptiness is a way of um removing or getting rid of or suppressing painful experiences and from a kind of cognitive behavioral perspective there was a kind of similar idea around emptiness as kind of a, a more conscious process but around avoidance and again avoiding emotion but again these kind of ideas were quite vague and floaty and kind of appeared in the odd paper here and there but weren't actually really Nobody had really got their teeth stuck into it. Um, the, the closest, I guess, kind of theory that was kind of beginning to be established and which we've kind of we feel is probably most aligned to our conceptualization of emptiness is that of emptiness as an existential experience. So this is a kind of an idea put forward by Radcliffe. And it's the idea that we all experience ourselves in the world all the time. 
Um, and normally, kind of if we are well and, and doing okay, that experience we don't ever really think about. We, we just experience ourselves as being grounded, as having a cohesive sense of self, of being connected to activity and to other people and just kind of being here. But the idea with emptiness is that emptiness could be, and we believe it is at this stage, an existential experience where that, that process is disrupted in some way where that sense of being grounded and rooted in the world becomes disconnected, becomes detached. And so the way of finding ourselves in the world, which is a, a phrase that Radcliffe uses a lot, in emptiness becomes disconnected and detached and uncomfortable. And we suddenly become aware of ourselves as being existentially present, but not comfortable, not settled, not grounded. So there's a few kind of a few of these theories. The emotion one that doesn't quite fit for us, I guess. The idea of functions of emptiness, I think, is another question entirely. And I think there's lots to be kind of understood about the function of emptiness. But in terms of theories of what emptiness is and kind of what it represents, this idea of an existential feeling for us felt the most close to what our participants were kind of bringing. Um, oh, that's really interesting. But also, uh, you know, there, there is something about the fact that people were hypothesising about the the meaning, what it is, the function, without defining, um, seems to be leaping a bit further ahead of of things. It, it seems that it would make sense to to have started at at the beginning where you seem to have to have started. Did, Absolutely, yeah. Can you tell us how about you how you went about your research? Do you find it hard to? Was it easy to find people who were able or willing to talk about emptiness, for instance? was unbelievably easy to find people it felt in many ways a bit like opening pandora's box um we essentially started off with kind of an online survey um thinking that we would gain you know a small number of people who were interested um and massively surpassed the number of people that we had kind of budgeted for i guess very very quickly um and it was really interesting i i myself kind of reflected on an experience during the process of almost kind of feeling like people had been waiting for the question to be asked and suddenly the question was asked and all of this information came flooding forwards um, and essentially in the research we gave people kind of a, an open text box and asked them to in, in whatever way they felt comfortable to describe what emptiness meant, meant to them and, and what the experience felt like and people provided us with these enormous beautiful poetic descriptions um, ranging from you know just a sentence or two to to full prose um, describing the experience and it it very much felt like we had lifted the lid on something and all of this experience that people had never actually been asked about suddenly came flooding forth and so that was the experience when we did the the first kind of piece of research which which is the one that you mentioned that's been published now um, but for my thesis kind of more recently um, we had the exact same experience again um, and actually this time we're able to very quickly get almost a thousand participants who were willing to to talk about emptiness and answer questions about emptiness um, which I guess you know for me really kind of is quite reassuring that people actually want to talk about this topic and and are interested in this topic more sadly it shows to me that people are feeling this you know they are experiencing this feeling in you know in lots and lots of people um, so yeah in some ways it feels like a bit of a double-edged sword that people have been so comfortable coming forward to speak about it it kind of seems to indicate that people actually there's a there's a need to talk about it in people that you've managed to recruit that many participants so quickly and just thinking back to you know when having to kind of like look at at, at diagnostic criteria uh, the most straightforward 
way for me to manage that issue around emptiness was to ask people and it seemed that people were easily able to identify that as part of their experience or not but feeling a sense of regret at not giving people more space to to talk about that as a symptom for want of a better word um when it sounds like if you're managing to recruit people that easily it sounds like it's something that actually people have a sense of there is a need to a need to discuss yeah absolutely and did you these... get a sense of sorry, sorry. david are these all men that you've recruited there, Shona? No. So the, the focus group in Dundee that we worked with initially was men, just because that was that was who that group was with. But the, the paper that we published was a, a mixed general public um, kind of sample. So men, women, interestingly, only half of the participants in that um, definition study actually had ever had any mental health difficulties, um, which was a really fascinating finding for us and, and really spoke to, I guess, a conclusion that, that we're coming to around emptiness as being a really transdiagnostic experience that actually it's not unique to people who have a, a significant mental health difficulty or who have ever received a kind of psychiatric diagnosis but actually men women young old um, mental health challenges no mental health challenges the range of people in our in our study that was published and, and in the one that is currently ongoing um, has been enormous um, emptiness seems to be everywhere um, at the so moment so you you didn't find any uh relationship with depression then interestingly in the the first study that we did looking at the kind of definition depression wasn't something that we were looking at and so we didn't kind of measure for it um in the more recent study that's currently ongoing we used um kind of the the core so kind of a standard uh, kind of clinical measure that's often used in clinical practice to assess general um, psychological distress and the relationship between um between scores on that and scores on emptiness are, are really really high um they're very strongly related um although having kind of looked back at other studies and looked at other bits and pieces that have been um, done kind of relating to emptiness, what seems to be the situation with depression is that emptiness is very related, um, although not fully connected. And what seems to be the situation in qualitative research at the moment is that um, emptiness is particularly present when depression is chronic and long-term. So there was a really interesting study that I was reading the other day looking at um, the kind of phenomenology, so the lived experience of, of long-term depression. And lots of people there um, kind of spoke very clearly about how when their depression became a long-term, recurrent, pervasive issue for them, at that point they began to experience really profound feelings of emptiness. Um, so that's something really interesting. I, I'm so keen to look into more because the the relationship between emptiness and lots of different aspects of psychological distress, lots of different mental health difficulties seems to be really prevalent, um, but in a transdiagnostic way where, so currently um, emptiness, is, as you mentioned, Naomi, is one of the criteria for a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Um, but actually our research and, and lots of the other bits and pieces that have been going on are suggesting that it is in no way unique to people who receive that label. And actually, instead, it shows up in long-term depression. It shows up in experiences of psychosis. It shows up in the general population for people who never come into the contact with services. Um, and actually, this is something, as, again, as you mentioned, Naomi, that we're just not asking about. We just don't know enough about. We're not providing a space for people to, to name that or have that experience named. And so we're missing it at the moment. And I guess in thinking about kind of my relationship to this research that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it is it feels as if there's this thing that people are experiencing 
um, in silence. Um, and currently there's not a space and clinicians are not asking the questions um, in order to bring that forth and for us to really help people to make sense of that experience, I guess. And you mentioned that you had um, male and female participants. Do you have a sense of proportionally whether they're, they, men and women experience this in, in similar, at similar rates or is it more prevalent amongst, amongst women or men? It's a really good question. Um, I actually have no no answer to that yet. I guess that's one of the frustrating and nice things about this research area. There's just so much we don't know. Um, I guess just kind of thinking off the top of my head, generally the if we think about emptiness as one of the, the nine criteria for a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, um, borderline personality disorder is more commonly diagnosed in women. Um, so it may be there's a relationship there, and I guess that's a probably a really important area for us to look at in terms of research going forwards but at this point in time prevalence is a really interesting area that we just don't know enough about um, and, and partly because there's been no measures so this is kind of I guess part of the reason why that is the focus of my thesis is because initially we had no definition of emptiness we've kind of tackled that issue the next issue is that we're not measuring emptiness we're not doing really thorough research looking into these experiences in different populations across time um, within clinical and non-clinical populations we're not looking at the the correlates and the kind of related factors to emptiness because we just don't have the clinical measures um, and that was really the intention for for my thesis that's kind of currently very close to hopefully being finished. But I was just thinking about um, about the fact that men present more often with addictive behaviours and when pe- people who use addictive behaviours often talk about using uh, things like substances to kind of cope with those feelings of emptiness and get away from them and obviously men are much more likely to be diagnosed as antisocial um, in terms of personality disorder aren't they as well as addictive uh, behaviours so I, it made me wonder whether you know about how people cope with feelings of emptiness is it something that that is difficult to cope with um is it is it associated with distress or is it possible to feel emptiness without without that impacting on your well-being yeah it's a really good point actually i guess it makes me wonder whether it'd be interesting to look at whether emptiness is actually equivalent in prevalence across genders but as you say the coping um for both of those might be very different be really be a really fascinating study I'll add that to my list um yeah in terms of kind of the the question around distress I mean all of the evidence so far suggests that emptiness is very strongly related to distress um emptiness is not a pleasant experience and it can range from kind of fleeting and transitory so lots of the people in our studies have reported feeling empty just every now and again it's something that kind of comes and goes and perhaps changes at different points in their life or points in time um it's unpleasant when it occurs but it it perhaps doesn't massively impact on their functioning or their lives whereas for other people it can be a really chronic pervasive and persistent experience um which is deeply distressing um and one of the things that i guess suggests that for us is the relationship that's one of the only relationships with emptiness that's been really robustly demonstrated is the relationship between emptiness self-harm and suicide um which is has come up time and time again in the literature and is very very um kind of well replicated um which suggests that emptiness you know isn't it's it's not a nice place to be you know to be in a position where you feel empty where you're feeling disconnected from yourself disconnected from the people around you and from your place in the world is not a position um even fleetingly that people feel comfortable being and the 
work that I'm doing currently in my thesis, um, we've seen a, a really strong correlation between emptiness and, and general psychological distress. Um, emptiness and loneliness are also very strongly connected, um, as well as emptiness and satisfaction with life. So the more empty you feel, the, the lower your satisfaction with life, um, suggesting that this is yeah a really unpleasant, distressing place to be. Clearly a very uh, unpleasant uh, experience to be in that state. I suppose it does kind of make one curious, and you must have been very curious about uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Um, so whether loneliness and various other experiences kind of feed into a sense of uh, emptiness or whether it can work in the other way, way. Did you, I mean, you've mentioned the idea of suicidal ideation and a strong correlation there. Was it possible to discern between those who, who might have ideas and those who might go on and actually harm themselves? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, yeah, like I said, that, that area of research is actually one of the very few related attempts that's actually had some work done on it. Um, and it's really, really fascinating. So we looked at, in the, in the first definition study, we looked at suicidal ideation as well as intent. And the relationship was incredibly strong um, for both, particularly for those who felt chronically empty. So the more chronic someone's experience of emptiness, the more likely they were to have both thought about suicide and taken steps to act on it. Um, and that was the same for self-harm as well. So thoughts of self-harm and active acts of self-harm um, were both very strongly related to chronic um, experiences of emptiness. And that pattern has come up time and time again. Um, so within self-harm, there's been quite a lot of previous work looking at both adolescents and adults, um, which has shown that emptiness has been quite a significant factor in kind of predicting repeated um, self-harm. Um, and lots of uh, work looking at kind of the, the reasons for self-harm, suggesting that, as you kind of mentioned, Naomi, that in terms of kind of the addictive behaviours, that self-harm for many people um, has been seen as a way of relieving kind of the psychological pain of, of emptiness. And also because emptiness has a, involves an experience of not feeling much emotion to actually elicit, um, kind of create, generate some kind of emotive experience through self-harming. Um, so there's a real kind of interesting kind of relationship going on there between an attempt to get rid of emptiness and to experience some form of emotion through self-harm. And the same is kind of comes up with suicide, where, again, the relationship between emptiness, chronic emptiness, especially and self and suicide, sorry, are very kind of strongly connected. It was a really interesting study. I think it was actually in Japan that was done looking at suicide letters. Um, and they found that emptiness was the, the second common, second most common word mentioned in suicide notes um, of people who um, kind of ended their life by suicide. And that kind of that kind of prevalence of emptiness being in people's minds at the point of thinking about dying is really, really is is massive. Um, and actually Eskin, I think it was kind of in the mid 2000s, I did a paper concluding that actually emptiness may be the strongest predictor in self-killing. Um, that we're not actually paying any attention to. And currently, to my knowledge, um, there aren't any models of suicide um, or any kind of risk assessment tools that actively ask explicitly about emptiness um, or factor that into 
thinking about someone's risk or likelihood of um, of dying by suicide, despite the fact that it's clearly a really massive um, factor for so many people. Absolutely, highlighting something really important, both in terms of risk to self as well as risk if it is related to things like addictions for instance then risk to others so you know it's not thought about in the hr20 um can't, it's a long time since i looked at the fast but i don't think it's included there either so it's um seems like a really significant finding that you've had mm. Yeah, and it's not a new finding either. You know, our work, I guess, has kind of just in this in this sense, um, just repeated the same finding that that lots of other suicide re- researchers have been coming up against, and yet, and yet there seems to be an absence of doing anything about it. And as you say, at the moment, we don't really know about how that relates to risk to others. Currently, the research is mostly around risk to self through kind of self harming and suicidal behaviours, but risk to others hasn't been explored in relation to this this area and could well be you know incredibly relevant as well makes me wonder about the relationship um with anger and rage as well you know like how sometimes people seek to make themselves angrier because in order to feel something and just thinking that Mm. that could you know could even be related to dangerousness in that sense yeah absolutely definitely could be a lot to think about yeah no this is Mm. fascinating we'll be rabbiting on about this in a way that's a total distraction to your key aims I'm sure because what what you're I come from a psychodynamic background so what the model I try and cling on to is something about uh, having an uh, an internal world um, with a whole dynamic stream of relationships interacting um, in a way that kind of gives some shape to a personality and what you're making me think is that here we're talking about a kind of entropy where all of that shatters and the individual is left without a sense of personality without a sense of who they are and is just left with a sense of uh, desperation and uh, dread Mm. um so there was a really um a really wonderful literature review done i think it was a couple of years ago by miller and colleagues where they they attempted to kind of synthesize what what little is known so far about emptiness and the title of it always sticks in my mind and i think speaks to what you just mentioned there and they, they titled it um measuring the shadows um this idea that emptiness is this, this shadow state this 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 absence this hollow absence that that has that leaves some kind of shadow but but lacking in substance um and i I, every time i've read that paper a hundred times and every time i read it the title just i think just completely captures what we're we're trying to describe it's it's like trying to catch smoke in many ways i think this experience there's a beautiful thread on twitter of photos of sculpture where that basically um exhibited emptiness you know with hollowed hollowed out chest so it's obviously something that people are able to identify with um but yeah i've captured all those images i thought they'd be useful for for um social media for your your podcast yeah absolutely that is a very powerful image yes so anyway you've worked in acute mental health settings and forensic settings and i think does that include both forensic hospitals and prisons yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, um, so I've worked in kind of a range of services kind of when I was a, um, a clinical associate in Scotland, but also now on kind of placements in, in London. And 
currently I'm in um, HMP Woodhill in the High Secure Estate um, and Park Royal Secure Services, which is a, a low secure um, hospital. Um, so I've got yeah experience in a range of, of different um, settings um, where emptiness is very much prevalent and around me all the time. Well, that was the question, really. Um, did you notice uh, uh, an undue or extreme level of feelings of emptiness? Was it different in hospitals or compared to prisons or what? I think coming back to that question around prevalence, I think the prevalence of emptiness that I've experienced in these settings is just profoundly increased um, and, and the level of that chronicity. I guess when I think about when, you, when I think about what emptiness so far from what we know is about, you know, emptiness is about that disconnection to the self, that disconnection to others and that disconnection to the world. And if we think about these kind of settings, people are disconnected from the world in such profound ways, you know, physically, they are physically separated from society, from families, from communities, from networks that they had on the outside of prison or on the outside of hospital. Um, you know, so thinking about people in prison, but hospitals, children in the care system, children in boarding schools, there's a physical separation between you and the world around you. And the world around you continues while you are serving a long sentence, perhaps. And that idea that just by being disconnected from that, you are probably more likely to feel empty. But then also that, you know, the second part of emptiness, which is about that idea of meaning and purpose, Again, in these settings, your capacity to access meaning and purpose through education, roles, social relationships is again completely impacted. And that disconnection from the self as well, that many people who end up in these kind of settings and services have, have experienced often profound trauma developmentally and throughout kind of their adult lives. And actually that has a huge impact on our ability to develop a coherent sense of self and then carry that with us through very difficult trying environments so thinking about what emptiness is that disconnect from those three kind of domains of life being in a you know a locked ward or being in a prison context or being a child in care your access to connect to those three years of your, of your life are just very practically impacted um, and so for me the idea that emptiness would be more prevalent and perhaps more chronic and kind of just everywhere in these settings it just feels like a very logical um, kind of assumption to make. And in my kind of experience so far, I've not yet been able to start doing the research on that yet. But in my experience, kind of anecdotally from working in these environments, it's it's absolutely um, everywhere um, within these kind of really challenging kind of environments. And I guess when I think about um, a lot of the work that I, I do in these services is around, I work a lot with men. Um, who are in very, very high levels of distress and self-harm and suicide are, you know, incredibly prolific in these environments. And it makes sense, you know, if you're in that kind of an environment, you are, you're separated from your access to all of these ways of connecting. You're experiencing very high levels of emptiness. Um, suicide and self-harm is often a, perhaps a way of coping um, in that context. Mm, thank you. I think as well, when you look at the histories of people according to what levels of security they're in, I think often in the high secure estate, people have had to cope with even more brutality during childhood. So, you know, I remember noticing a difference from going from a medium secure hospital setting to a prison, high secure prison environment. And within the high secure 
um, population hearing them talk about the having that feeling that their parents wanted them dead their parents actually mm. hated them whereas uh, the brutality that was spoken of um, by the population seemed to be more about excessive punishment for misdemeanors perceived as misdemeanors whereas for these men it seemed like that that w- that they felt their parents wished to obliterate them which is really mm. quite startling yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's it's an area that i mean that's my next plan ideally is to is to be looking at the environments and the context in which emptiness flourishes um and my sense would be that these kind of environments where there's all of these physical barriers to accessing connection with the world and with others but also the the histories of the people who typically end up in these kind of environments um my expectation would be that that is you know the the ideal environment for emptiness to to blossom um in the most distressing and and horrifying ways thank you 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 talk about a very complex area in a very um clear manner shona it's uh, it's great talking with you you've you've obviously as i understand it um wanted to bring lived experience uh, into a central part of your research. Why did you think that was important and, and what has it added? Yeah, it's a really great question. And, and yeah, something that myself and Fabio are incredibly passionate about. I guess it comes back to what we were speaking about, I guess, at the beginning of this conversation, that there was lots of kind of fleeting little bits of theory out there in the literature um, but very much from kind of a top-down perspective you know clinicians and researchers theorizing about what emptiness was and, and what it might be like and what it means um, and actually I found that really quite challenging because as a as a white middle-class woman who's lived a life of privilege I have no concept of what it means to feel empty and so it feels very disingenuous for me to attempt to somehow suss that out using my own expertise in inverted commas whereas actually for me the the way in which we can truly understand what people are going through is by asking them um, and so going back to kind of a, a bottom-up approach of starting at the beginning of 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 listening to people to hearing what they have to say and providing them a space to to open that pandora's box and share with us what it is that they're experiencing just felt it just felt in many ways like common sense but it also felt like much truer to what we're trying to achieve if we're actually trying to support people with this this experience we need to actually be listening to what the experience is and centering them in that process and i think my sense anyway is that the definition that we've created and now the measure that we are creating from that is going to be much better because of that because we have it we've started at that point of listening to what people um what people experience and what they have to say rather than you know us sitting academics and researchers and clinicians sitting around in a room coming up with our wonderful ideas when actually we have no concept of whether they are accurate or helpful for people um, and that was the, one of the things that we we built into the first paper that we published was we created the de- definition but we then put it back to a group of individuals with lived experience to to check with them to say you know have we understood this right um, you've shared all these things with us and we've attempted to make sense of it but but have we have we captured this accurately um, and and the response was that we had which was fantastic um, and particularly for those who felt chronically empty they felt that we had really accurately captured their experience and that was a really um, validating experience as a researcher to feel like actually okay we've we've got it we've done we've done this group of people justice you know in terms of capturing their experience um, and I think yeah I think it's 
the way research should be done. Um, I think we create better measures. I think we do better work. I think we can be more helpful um, if our work is directly led and influenced and, and centres the people who we ultimately are trying to help. Um, so, yeah, it's something I can bang on about for days. <laughs> Thank you. So why do you think um, people like us, clinicians, haven't been very curious about uh, emptiness? It's a good question. I keep asking myself the same thing because, quite frankly, I'm obsessed and I feel like everyone else should be too. Um, but I think, to be honest, I think the answer is that it's hard. I think emptiness is this vague existential shadow of an experience um, and it's difficult to quantify and it's difficult to get our hands on and I think as researchers and clinicians we like to kind of grasp onto things that are easily to measure and we can track them over time and we can create graphs and you know you, how do you do an RCT on emptiness it, it, it feels very elusive and it feels very um, very tricky um, and actually a lot of when you search emptiness online, a lot of what comes up is art and poetry. And as you described, Naomi, images. And that's difficult for us to, to grasp. And I think we've just not, we just haven't got there yet. Um, but what that's meant is that there's been this big gap. Um, coming back to that idea of kind of the, the measuring the shadows, it's hard to measure shadows. And so people just haven't done it yet. Um, and so this is our attempt to try and right that wrong in some ways and, and make up for what I see as lost time. Um, in the way that we we think about this experience. Thank you. So do you foresee that sometime in the not too distant future, alleviating this sense of emptiness will be a treatment aim? I think so. I mean, you know, for lots of people, this experience is fleeting and transitory. And, and a lot of people who experience emptiness from our research don't ever have contact with mental health services. And that's, you know, that's great. That's fine. If people can find their own way through and use their own resources to to manage this feeling and for it to to pass then that's fantastic but the reality is that lots of people experience this chronically and, and lots of people want to die as a result of it um, and so we need to be doing something about that we need to be offering something to people and I guess part of the issue at the moment is we don't know whether the treatments we already have are helpful it might be that actually the treatments that already exist are fantastic and um, that are already doing wonderful things for emptiness we're just not measuring it and we're not assessing it or it may be that actually our current treatments are miles away and people are coming to see us having wonderful therapy and, and accessing supports and then leaving still feeling empty and if that's the case we need to know that and we need to be able to assess that which is partly why we're creating this measure um, and we need to be able to be thinking about how do we adapt treatments that are available if they're somewhat helpful. Do we need to be creating new treatments for emptiness or offering new supports? And I guess a big thing that, that I'm quite conscious about is, is clinicians feeling competent to approach this subject because currently we're not. We're not asking about emptiness. We're not feeling skilled and engaging with this this topic as you mentioned Naomi other than kind of and and asking about it in the context of BPD because it's a diagnostic criteria we're not having conversations around emptiness and, and clinicians need to feel skilled and competent in doing that and to create space for those difficult painful conversations about people's existential feeling of not being not being connected to themselves and to the world um, because you know, as we've said, and as I bang on forever, this is important. If we don't do it, people die. Um, and that is ultimately the, 
the bottom line. So a treatment for emptiness one day might be where we're headed or it might just be about getting better about using the treatments and the supports that we already we're already using. But we need to find out that's where the work is, I think. Mm, OK, um, I'm, I'm, I'm I was thinking. Um, sorry, this is slightly off topic, but I was thinking that every young man or no, nearly every young man has this experience of waking up on a Saturday morning after they drank too much on the Friday night with this terrible feeling of dread and emptiness, which is why so many young men stay in bed until two o'clock on a Saturday. Um, do you think, I mean, I'm slightly being a bit fatuous there, but I'm, I'm wondering whether there's a kind of relationship between that kind of transitory experience and something which is more kind of uh, set and longer term that you're perhaps talking about? It's a really good question. I mean, speaking for myself, I, I've also experienced that that Saturday morning empty dread after a few too many tequilas. Um, but I, it is, it's interesting. And one of the things that I guess at the moment is purely a thought in my head is whether there is a distinction between the two. So whether there's a distinction between people who experience emptiness as a transitory every now and again, perhaps contextually impacted um, experience. So, for example, at a time of bereavement or following a significant loss, are people going to experience a transitory emptiness? In comparison then to people who for them this is their persistent state of being this is how they find themselves in the world this is this is their 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 background feeling of life and that's something again that we don't know at the moment but my kind of potential hypothesis is that those who um, experience this chronic long-term experience it may be that they have in some ways kind of less reserves to work with so if i imagine somebody who generally is psychologically functions very well who has stable relationships who you know manages okay and they experience a contextual situation that impacts them significantly that may destabilize them for a period of time psychologically and in their relationships and emptiness may creep in at that point whereas if i then imagine somebody who psychologically has been through a huge amount perhaps experienced a lot of trauma has a slightly unstable sense of grounding in the world to begin with and then experiences something very difficult, they have less of a stable footing to begin with, for which emptiness could then find its way in and stay in. So it's there's lots of questions and I don't have a huge amount of answers, but I guess in my head that's some of what I've been thinking about in terms of that difference between the transitory and the perhaps more chronic kind of long-term experiences. Thank you. So is that your plan for the research going forwards or is there something else as well i have so many plans <laughs> um i mean at this stage the, the current plan is to is to get this measure um created and hopefully published by the end of the year and and my hope is that at that point this will then become um not just something that i'm working on and, and my research team are working on but then that people pick this up that that clinicians start to use our emptiness measure as part of their routine clinical practice that services start incorporating it into their the batteries of assessment measures that they use every time someone comes into the service in order to start building up the the evidence as to what treatments are working not working um one of the things that i'm really really curious about and i guess we've kind of alluded to at various points in this conversation is around the relationship to trauma um and kind of the development um of emptiness over time because 
to me they feel so connected um and so one of the things that i'm really keen to do is to look at the relationships between um, trauma attachment um, developmental experiences in general and emptiness um but essentially that this is one of the again one of the exciting and stressful parts of this research area is that there is just so much we don't know um if you take just about any topic um you can link it to emptiness and we don't know the answers yet so there's so much to be done um so if anybody fancies getting involved please please do some research on emptiness mm, thank you i mean the work you've been doing has brought you into is bound to have brought you into contact with a lot of painful experiences painful and difficult uh, descriptions how do you keep yourself well uh, resilient and cheerful what do you do mm. I feel like I'm answering this from from two hats currently. I'm answering it in relation to emptiness research, but also as someone who's in the middle of finishing a doctoral thesis, um, which are two two very interesting challenges, particularly when coming together. I guess I guess for me, I I, t I actually find myself thinking about things as kind of how to achieve the antithesis of emptiness. So emptiness has three parts: connection to ourselves, connection to others, connection to the world meaning and purpose and so for me I connect to a sense of meaning and purpose through my work that I get every single day I'm incredibly fortunate that that's something that that is currently always there for me even when it's very stressful so that I feel grounded in that on a regular basis and I take huge strength from the people I work with I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to do this research with um, Fabio Sani and, and the research team that we work with and being surrounded clinically and in a research setting by people who share my values and that sense of drive and determination again helps me manage really really stressful times and for myself I, I do things I enjoy I go out with friends I have picnics I have long baths um, and essentially try and reconnect in those three ways which at the moment is difficult but I'm hoping that once once this doctoral thesis is finished, I'll be able to reconnect with those in a much more profound way. Um, but yeah, it's an ongoing challenge. What a brilliant answer. It's really lovely to hear it framed in the context of your, your research in that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you can tell, I'm mildly obsessed. <laughs> no, well, that, your passion for the subject has really come across. It's been a really, a really brilliant, lovely conversation to have with you, Shana. <laughs> Thank you. I could talk about it all day, so um, yeah. <laughs>